First off, I hope everyone who celebrates had a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays. But I'm turning it to Scrooge here, because I have another target for an opening roast. And this week's target falls upon the zebras of the National Football League. So, let's take a little time trip, shall we? Three years ago, the referees robbed the New Orleans Saints of a Super Bowl berth. And I know what you're going to say. Oh, Drew Brees threw an interception in overtime. Cut that out. While it's true, you cannot deny the refs robbed the Saints of a Super Bowl. If that P.I. was called, they run the clock out, kick a chip shot with one of the best kickers in the game and Will Lutz, boom. Saints go to the Super Bowl. I don't know what kind of timeline we'd be living in now if that was called. But what makes me even more sick is that three years later, the NFL seemingly lacks competent referees. And I'll bring up two examples of this from this past weekend. Christmas Day, Cleveland Green Bay. It's down to the wire. Cleveland's down by two, trying to tie the game. A blatantly misholding call on Green Bay is missed. Baker Mayfield throws an interception on that play. Green Bay wins the game. Now, don't get me wrong. Baker Mayfield stinks. He's not a good quarterback. And he deserved to throw three interceptions on the day. Cleveland deserves to lose. But come on, at that gesture of the game, how how do you not make that call? Right? And then, yeah, yeah. yeah, I know it's homerism coming on on this next one, but Buffalo, New England, Mac Jones, it's a first and ten. He scrambles for seven yards. Then once he's well out of bounds, gets yanked to the ground by Jerry Hughes. Flag is thrown, but then, oh, I don't know, whomever was officiating the game must have had a brain fart because the flag was taken back. Then Trent Brown is called for unsportsmanlike conduct. So you add that up, that's a net 30-yard loss. And again, the Pats played horribly Sunday. But they can go into the locker room with points at the half. It's a much different outcome. And then fourth and one, Josh Allen does unbelievable things, but Jamie Collins was held. There's no denying it. The NFL needs to fix this problem. And they need to fix it now because it cost the Saints a Super Bowl berth and may have just well, well cost Cleveland its season. John, what say you? Yeah, a lot of blatant calls, a lot of missed calls, and especially late in the season here, Liam, you hate to have the officials deciding these critical games, especially that Cleveland and Green Bay one. That effectively ended the Brown season. And in a situation like that, the referee's eyes should be on where the ball is and where the play is. I don't really understand how you miss that call at that stage of the game because it played a massive factor. Yes, like you said, Baker Mayfield played awful the entire game. And Green Bay's secondary had his number the entire contest. But in that stage of the game, you can't miss that call. Uh, personally, I'm a Lions fan, so the one that sticks in my head is the Lions-Cowboys game from about a decade ago where Brandon Pettigrew uh, was interfered with in a critical playoff game and there was no call. So, yeah, Liam, I'm with you. I've had personal experiences of that as well. And uh, the official, the officiating has been questionable this year, to say the least. Well, let's move into something a little more positive. John Eads, college football guru. We're really happy to have you on today to talk the playoff in a little bit. So, Jeeves, I got to ask, did you get anything cool for Christmas over the past few days? I did. You know, it was a pretty basic list this year. Asked for socks and underwear and things of that nature. Uh, I did get some cool boots, though to wear in the snowy setting that we, of course, have back at school at Syracuse University. So some nice boots that'll, you know, up the drip game a little bit for me, which is definitely lacking. So So on my radio show back in Syracuse, we played sports trivia every week, and I lost to Kyle Lugren every single time. So my parents thought it'd be funny if I got basketball trivia, baseball trivia, and then my aunt got me this. Greatest of all time sports trivia daily calendar so I can learn a new fact every day to get closer to beating him. But, you know, maybe I'll have Kyle on one day. Maybe I'll beat him then. All right, so let's get into this week's range of topics. And we begin with the Indianapolis Colts, who have pulled off two rather impressive wins over the past two weeks. They beat a surging New England team 27-17. And then in the Christmas Day nightcap, take down the Arizona Cardinals. More on them later. But the elephant in the room, earlier today, Carson Wentz tested positive for COVID-19 due to his unvaccinated status. He will miss a crucial, crucial game for Indianapolis. They are currently the fifth seed in the AFC, a game behind Tennessee for the South Division lead, which we thought was a wrap a few weeks ago. And I'm blanking on who Indianapolis plays at the moment. They host Vegas. So, geez, that's a game that 
without Carson Wentz could go either way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Carson Wentz has had as much to do with this win streak they've been on. They've won six out of the last seven, the Colts have, as Jonathan Taylor has. He had two passing touchdowns, 108 yards on the ground against Arizona. He was critical in getting that win, especially in a game where JT was pretty much bottled up because Indianapolis was without four starting offensive linemen, right? Uh, so he definitely stepped up to the plate and made something happen and won them that game. I, I almost want to say single-handedly. So that's going to be a massive loss against the Las Vegas team that's definitely out for a big-time win. Yeah, and Vegas on the outside looking in, tied with Miami for the seventh seed in the AFC right now. So all bets are off on that game. But another thing that strikes me about this Cardinals game is that they didn't beat them at Lucas Soil like they did against the Pats. They went into Glendale and took down Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, who, by the way, look not too hot right now. We'll talk. We'll touch on them later. But you look at the Colts. They got off to an abysmal start. Losses to Seattle and the Rams. All right. And as well as the Titans. Excuse me. Then they take down the Dolphins. That's a solid win. Then they lose to Baltimore in OT. Then the floodgates opened. Wins over Houston and San Francisco. Lost to Tennessee in OT, which is crucial. I'll get to that in a moment. Then they beat the Jets, Jags, Buffalo, lose to to Tampa by a touchdown, not too shabby. Then they blow out Houston again. Then they take down New England and Arizona. So I think if the Colts are going to get in, it's going to be through a wild card because Tennessee beat them twice. So Tennessee would need to lose their next two as well as Indy winning their next two for that to happen, which is very unlikely even with the injuries Tennessee is dealing with right now. But, I mean, without Carson Wentz, I mean... Vegas isn't exactly lighting the world on fire, but if they lose this weekend, things could get really interesting. Definitely. And I'll also pre- surface it by saying they play Jacksonville Week 18. If they can't beat Jacksonville, they don't deserve to be in the playoffs. Right. No, you're, you're going to miss Carson Wentz, that's for sure. The question is, can you do just enough to win that game against Vegas? Can Jonathan Taylor kind of carry you like he kind of did at Wisconsin for for the Badgers over there? Uh, and Vegas, I think, is getting Darren Waller back this week, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, they could definitely score. So that's that's going to be the matchup, I think, is can Indianapolis put up points against that Vegas defense? Because if they don't, I think they're going to lose that game. And you can't be afforded to be losing games at this stage because, like you said, they're contending for that wild card spot. So see what you can salvage this week, and then you got to win out the rest of the way once you get wins. And the back. question is, who is Indianapolis going to start a quarterback? Other than Wentz, the only guy that has thrown a pass for them this season is Jacob Eason, who no longer plays for the Colts. He plays for the Seahawks now. So in terms of active quarterbacks on the roster, you've got Brett Hundley, James Morgan, who I've never heard of, and Sam El- Sam Ellinger. So I think it's down it's down to Ellinger or Hundley. I mean, Ellinger's got the youth factor, Hundley's got the experience, but who knows? Maybe it's a chance for the former UT star to actually be back this time. Yeah, I think it'll be Ellinger that gets the start there. Uh, Huntley, wasn't he the backup for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay? He was the backup for someone. I think, I don't remember who. Okay. He wasn't impressive though, wherever he was. So I think it'll be Ellinger getting the nod there. And he brings some interesting things to the table as the dual threat quarterback, but obviously a lack of experience, uh, capital L on that one. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the Kansas City Chiefs who, after getting off to a torrid, excuse me, terrible start to the season, I mean, they look like the Chiefs of old, John. As much as I hate to admit it, they look really good. They've rattled off eight in a row since an embarrassing loss in Tennessee. Wins over the Giants, Packers, Raiders, Cowboys, Broncos, Raiders again, Chargers in OT, then pounding Pittsburgh this weekend. They're the favorites of the AFC right now, right? Yeah, definitely. And they just clinched the West, I believe, too, they did. that they last did. win. And it was so impressive because Pittsburgh wasn't one of those teams, really, that was struggling with injuries with a lot of COVID cases. They were pretty much at full strength this weekend. Uh, Kansas City, on the on the other hand, not so much. No Travis Kelsey. Uh, Tyreek Hill played, but he wasn't much of a factor because he was in quarantine all week or doing whatever. He wasn't on the practice field, which is the point. Uh, and Patrick Mahomes just stepped up big time and was tossing dimes all over the field. And it didn't matter that he didn't have Kelsey or Hill. He passed for 258 yards and three touchdowns. So if Kansas City could put up a performance like that against a solid Pittsburgh team with pretty much all of their playmakers not playing or not making an impact, they're destined for greatness this season, I think. So one thing that makes this Kansas City team even more interesting is that are they going to use their big guns down the stretch in their last two games, both of which are on the road, one of which is against the Cincinnati Bengals, who is a team fighting for its playoff life right now, leading the AFC North, but that division, I mean, 
They've beaten Baltimore twice. So with the win this week, Cincinnati gets the North. So I think that adds a whole other layer of complexity. And then week 17, they've got Denver, who somehow is still just a game out of playoffs. And But how can Kansas City not be the favorites in the AFC right now, especially with New England tumbling over the past two weeks like they have? More on that later. And I think that sort of brings it full circle, John. The AFC, scratch that, the NFL this year just spells mediocrity and then some to me. Yeah. yeah. Now you got your teams on the top, the teams that have won 10, 11 games, even 12 at this point. But then there's just a, a massive range of mediocre teams that are 7 and 8, 8 and 7, 9 and 6. And it's pretty interesting to watch, though, because there's a ton of parity. And it's interesting to see, you know, what the scenarios are. Uh, which teams could get in with these wins. And every game just means more at this point. Uh, but I think Kansas City and some of the teams at the top are beginning to separate themselves here down the... Yeah, I'm going track. to make this declaration right now. The real Super Bowl will be the NFC Championship this year. It'll be Green Bay and Tampa Bay. That's what I'm calling right yeah. now. All right, but yeah. a team that has come out of, frankly, nowhere to insert themselves into the playoff comp- conversation. How about the Miami Dolphins and my guy Jalen Waddell, who went to my high school... The man is on a seven-game win streak after losing seven straight to drop to one and seven after a week one win. Miami has rattled off seven wins in a row to put themselves in the seventh seed in the AFC. First time in league history that a team has had a seven-game losing streak and a seven-game winning streak in the same season. Jeeds, what we're seeing, it's unheard of. But my question to you is, how much noise can the Dolphins make come playoff time? I'm not sure. Yes, they're on a win streak. Yes, they look impressive. Tua's back. Jalen Waddle's producing. Uh, but I'm not sure how much noise they'll be able to make because I have yet to see them play a good team and play a complete game against a good team. Yeah, they took down the Saints the other night, but that was with Ian Book at quarterback and just a depleted Saints roster, and they absolutely ate. But I want to see the Dolphins get that big win over a team that actually means something instead of a, a team like the Saints that was just insanely shorthanded. Yeah, insanely shorthanded is an understatement. So let's let's throw out a hypothetical. Season ends today. Miami's the seven. They would play Tennessee, who is the two seed. And I'm sorry, this Tennessee team does not look like the Tennessee team we thought we were gonna see at the beginning of the season. Why? They might have been they might be the most injured team in the NFL with the exception of maybe Baltimore. They Don't have their best player in Derrick Henry. Julio and A.J. Brown have been dealing with injuries as well. Forcing Ryan Tannehill to carry a workload that I'm really not sure he's capable of. So, if Miami does end up with Tennessee in the playoffs and they get the benefit of not having to face that loaded offense, yeah, why can't they make some noise? Why can't they go on a run? Albeit it's unlikely because if they do beat Tennessee they'd have to play Kansas City in the second round and I don't think they would stand a chance but a win is making some noise but I mean if Miami does get matched up with you know Cincinnati or even Buffalo I don't think they stand a chance no I'm with you I think they could beat Tennessee what the Titans have going for them despite not having Derrick Henry and the run game kind of struggling because of that is their defense is very good and I think that would be the difference if the uh, Titans and Dolphins were to play today. And I think that would be why Tennessee would win. But I'm with you. Tannehill has not been impressive. We'll talk more about the Titans uh, in the big game. Yes, sir. All right, well, moving on to after a disappointing showing on Thanksgiving Day against the Las Vegas Raiders, the Dallas Cowboys have come out on all cylinders, beating down the Saints a week later, taking taking down the football team, essentially erasing any doubt as to who was going to win the division, beating the Giants rather convincingly, But what they did on Sunday night against the Washington football team, 42 points in the first half, winning the game 56-14. to Dak even came out at the end. I mean, the NFC East is all but set in stone at this point. But the question we're all wondering is, can this team actually make noise in the playoffs? Something they haven't done in years. I think so. They'll do it if they play like they did. Uh, this past week in every single game. The problem with them is they're just a little bit too inconsistent. You don't see that you don't see that same kind of fire, same kind of intensity that they had against Washington. Uh, they've clinched the division, but at this point, what else do they have left to play for? Obviously the Super Bowl and the championship, but I feel like this team needs a reason to be motivated, and sometimes that can hurt them. Ugh. You know, I mean, when you look at who Dallas has lost to this season, 
that crazy opening night game against Tampa Bay. All right. But somehow they get their butts handed to them by Denver of all teams. They put up a stinker in Kansas City. And then they lose to the Raiders at home in OT. So the inconsistency factor is very is very much prevalent. And these next two weeks are what will tell us what this team can do. Because they've got the Arizona Cardinals in America's Game of the Week. And then they go on the road to take on an Eagles team, more on them momentarily, that has been surging of late. Mm-hmm. And speaking of those Eagles, I mean, John, they've really come out of nowhere to hoist themselves into the playoff competition. I mean, I wrote them for dead after losing to the Giants a few weeks ago. They've come back with wins over the Jets, which isn't that impressive, but still. Beating down the football team and then dominating the Giants, little revenge piece, this past week. So, they end their schedule in D.C. against the football team and at home against the Cowboys. What do you make of this team, Jalen Hurts, Devontae Smith? Because I feel like this team could beat anybody on any given day but also lose to anybody on any given day. I'm with you. I think they split those last two games. Uh, The problem for them is they need something to flip the switch. They really struggled in the first half this past weekend, Uh, and the second half is really what got them that win over the Giants. They scored 31 points uh, in the 34-10 win, and Jalen Hurts finally got it going. Uh, I just don't think they have enough firepower to take down the Cowboys. I think that's their problem. Uh, a solid team. They'll definitely be competitive. They've won six of their last eight games. I just don't think they're there yet. Yeah, so Philly is currently tied for the sixth seed right now with San Francisco. The Niners own the tiebreaker in that regard. So if the season ended today, Philly would be the seventh seed and in Dallas in the first round of the playoffs. But, I mean, the thing is that there's so much pressure on Philly right now because breathing down their throats are the Vikings, Falcons, and Saints – all sitting at 7-8. and eight. And on, I'll, before I say any more, I'll say this may be the craziest down-to-the-wire playoff finish we've seen in perhaps our lifetimes. Yeah. And, I, and I don't think that's an understatement at all. But when, when you look at who Atlanta plays, Atlanta's in Buffalo. They're not winning that game. When you look at their other, the other teams breathing down their throats, Minnesota's in Green Bay. They're not winning that game. But the Saints host the Panthers. So if the Eagles lose... To the football team, they're in big trouble because I don't know who would own a Saints-Eagles tiebreaker. Scratch that. It would be the Eagles. Philly beat the Saints earlier this season. But, so, the Eagles are in good shape, but they need to take, they need to keep their eyes out for those teams lurking not too far behind. Yeah, I don't think they beat Dallas, so they need to win this weekend's game against uh, the, the, the football team. That's a must-win for this team because if the Saints get Taysom Hill back, they can beat the Panthers. Oh, absolutely. You know, they get anybody back besides Ian Book. They can beat the Panthers, they can beat right? the Pan- so. They can beat the Panthers with Trevor Simeon for all I care. Yep, so you have to win this weekend, uh, point blank. Yeah, absolutely. Now we're moving on to some of the teams that have fallen into the cold spectrum. I'm going to begin with the Baltimore Ravens. I mean... I don't think there's been a team in football that has had a fall from grace this season as much as the Ravens have, and I'll I'll be a little gentle. It's not exactly their fault. I mean, this team has been ravaged with injuries from the get-go, whether it be Lamar Jackson, the whole all of their running backs, their defense. I mean, I find it hard to be to not feel sympathetic for them, but at the same time, John, this team is there's not, I mean, they just got their butts handed to them by the Bengals this weekend. Yeah. Uh, Liam, I can't be too sympathetic to Baltimore because Lamar Jackson in that squad stole a game from the Lions with that insane field goal <laughs> early on in the season, um, which was just absolutely wild. But they have lost four in a row. The difference between them and the rest of our cold teams, the and I won't spill them, we'll, we'll save them, uh, is that they've dealt with the most injuries at the biggest positions of anybody else on the list, and it, it, there, there's no debate on that whatsoever. You mentioned Lamar Jackson. They lost Tyler Huntley before the game this past week, and I think yeah. if they have him, they stand a much better chance against the Bengals because Josh Johnson wasn't that guy, and nobody thought he would be that guy. Anyways, on top of that, the secondary has been absolutely destroyed, and that was evident when Burrow went for over 500 yards through the air and four what? touchdowns absolutely tore them up. So – They've been cold. I don't put a ton of stock in it because of the issues they've had. Uh, we'll see if they can end the season on a perhaps a high note, getting Lamar Jackson back, getting Huntley back, maybe some guys in the backfield. 
I will say I'm not complaining because Joe Burrow's historic performance propelled me into a fantasy championship game. So no shame in that. Yep. All right. So, I mean, when you look at the, the course of this Ravens team this season, losing to Vegas in OT, squeaking out off of a once in a light, once in a season thing, that Clyde Edwards Alaire fumble against Kansas City on Sunday Night Football. Then they beat the Lions on a record setting kick, squeaked by the Broncos, beat Indian overtime, pound the Chargers, then this this really confusing stretch. Cincinnati blows them out in Baltimore. Then they beat the Vikings in OT. Then they lose to the Dolphins, who at the time we thought stank on Thursday night football. Then they walk away with a three point win against the Chicago Bears. Then they beat Cleveland by six. Then they lose to Pittsburgh, lose to Cleveland, lose to Green Bay, and they just lost to Cincinnati. Yeah. This team just doesn't spell anything special to me, especially with the injuries. And the end of their schedule, oh boy, it's not pretty. The Rams and the Steelers, both in Baltimore, so you got to give them that. Yeah. But I don't think they win either of those games. Me neither. I think they have a better chance against Pittsburgh out of that. Oh, right? yeah, me too, but... Still, I mean, Pittsburgh's still uh, fighting for their lives. Yeah, yeah. The chances aren't high. Uh, no. So they could end the season on a six-game losing skid, which would be bad. But, again, you got to think about what they've dealt with this season. Yeah, and I'm, I'll, this may sound outrageous, but do you think John Harbaugh's job is in jeopardy? I don't think so, just because of all the things that yeah. have happened this season. I know? mean, but I will say there will be pressure to produce next season because sure. – if you have a generational talent like Lamar Jackson and can't even make it to an AFC championship game, I mean, that's like the Sixers not making the Eastern Conference Finals with Joel Embiid. But let's move on to uh, something I have been dreading talking about for ever since I came up with this run now. The New England Patriots, <sighs> where to begin? I mean, they fed, they came out flat against Indianapolis and couldn't make up the ground in time, losing 27-17. And then the defense just fell apart against Buffalo. They dropped 33 to 21. They no longer lead the division. They have, if they beat Jacksonville this weekend, they clinch a playoff berth. Then they have to go to Miami to jockey for seeding. But, geez, this looks, the past two weeks feel sort of disheartening, for the lack of a better word. Yeah, but you still have a chance to get into the playoffs, beating a get in a very winnable game against Jacksonville next week, right? So as a Lions fan, um, I'm feeling a little weird about this because we've made the playoffs in, in years, right? And uh, Patriots fans are upset that they're not going to win their division and things like that, but they're still going to get into the playoffs. But I'm with you. The expectations are obviously higher there. Uh, this past weekend, your defense did play bad. The Patriots defense did, but they were still in the game till the very end. The difference was Mac Jones really struggled against a, a very good Bills defense. Uh, I don't think that was this issue. I think the issue was Josh Allen playing – the best game of his life. I mean, that's too. 314 yeah. passing yards, 64 rushing yards, made up for over half of their ground game. And let's be real, Buffalo has no running backs. I'm sorry, that's just true. But, I mean, the fact that Josh Allen made Isaiah McKenzie look like an elite receiver is yeah. impressive in its own right. McKenzie, who's Buffalo's normally number four behind Diggs, Sanders, and Beasley, who was out because of COVID, had 11 catches, 125 yards, and a touchdown. By the way, did you see... Cole Beasley has apparently rattled up over 100000 in fines because of numerous COVID violations this season. That's insane. Yeah. But, I mean, back to the Patriots. I mean, they've, they did pull Buffalo to 10 a few weeks ago on Monday Night Football. So, can the Patriots still compete with the Bills? Absolutely. Can this team do it consistently? Over the past three weeks, they have shown me that the answer is no. I understand that. Uh, I talked about Mac Jones a little bit earlier. Uh, the reason why I think that was the biggest difference, e even just the Patriots' offense in this game, 14 for 32, 145 yards, two interceptions. They lost a turnover battle by two. And in a game like this, when it's one possession down to the wire pretty much, you can't be doing that. You can't be giving Josh Allen And one other thing I'll say is that on the first play of the drive that Buffalo scored the game-sealing touchdown, J.C. Dra Jackson dropped a surefire pick six on the first play of the drive. Yeah, they also let they also let Buffalo convert two third and tens and a fourth and one. That's yep. not a winning recipe. 
New England, on the other hand, one for 10 on third down. They were five for six on fourth down, but you can't be going 10% on your third down opportunity. No. Didn't they get a goal line stand, too? They did get a goal line stand, yes. That was big. That was big. I but mean, yeah. they've, they've shown potential, but, I mean, unless they, you know, dominate Miami Week 18, I mean, there's a lot to be said. But I want to talk about the L.A. Chargers now, a team that essentially that – really choked away a Thursday night game against Kansas City a few weeks ago. I mean, that was atrocious. That was really, really bad. They, Brandon Staley making terrible coaching decisions. I mean, and then they followed up with an even more pathetic performance, losing to the Houston Texans. Yes, the Houston Texans. How does that happen? Justin Herbert threw for 336 yards, but he also threw two picks. But they let Davis Mills look like an all-pro, and Rex Burkhead seemingly come out of retirement to run for 150 and two scores. Yep. What happened to this team just out of nowhere? They're out of the playoff spot right now. Well, they just fell apart, I think, Liam. Uh, Herbert did not come to play through those interceptions at critical times in the contest. Uh, there was, I mean, well, let's throw the elephants in the room out there. No Austin Eckler, no Joey Bosa, uh, no Mike Williams, but you still can't lose to the Houston Texans. They are absolutely terrible. Uh, Davis Mills, like you said, rookie quarterback, no one really thought anything of him. Rex Burkhead, an old veteran who no one really cares about anymore. Uh, And no Brandon Cooks. He didn't even play. And still, Houston was able to put up 41 points with a makeshift wide receiver room. Uh, So you say what you want about the offensive side of the ball. No Austin Eckler. So Justin Jackson had to come in and he definitely produced for this team, 34 fantasy points, just throwing that out there. Uh, but the, the the defensive side of the ball was absolutely atrocious. I mean, yeah, I mean, the Houston Texans are a walking wide receiver room and have been ever since they made the boneheaded decision to trade DeAndre Hopkins. More on him later, by the way. But when I look at this Chargers team, I see a team that can beat any team on a given day, but also lose to any team on a given day. They're that high ceiling and they're that low floor. And these last two weeks of the season, their schedule isn't particularly difficult, unless I'm mistaken, but it isn't particularly easy either, as I made the mistake closing it out. Yes, here we go. They've got Denver at home. They should win that. And then they go to Vegas in a potentially make-or-break game for both teams. Yep. I think that, I think that's two wins. Depending on who you get back from the COVID things and, and injuries and things like that, they should get everybody back for the next game against Denver. Uh, those should be two wins. But like you said, you don't really know what you're going to get from this team. And that Kansas City loss definitely stings a lot more now with what should have been a win. I think a lot of people... Yeah, because if, char- if the Chargers are able to win that game, they they would take over first place. They would have taken over first place in the AFC West and had it in their hands. They should have won the game. They too. absolutely should have won the game. But let's move on to a team that is... All of a sudden, falling from grace. The Arizona Cardinals, part of it has to do with DeAndre Hopkins being out for season now, but a close loss to the Rams on Monday Night Football. Then a loss to the Detroit Lions, which, by the way, credit to Ryan Nelson, who saw it coming from a mile away. And then losing that to the Colts on Christmas Day, like we alluded to earlier. They've fallen out of first place in the NFC West. They take on Dallas in Arlington this week. Then they have to host the Seahawks. I mean, this team is sliding at... The most inopportune time, John. Yep, and they're another team. Injuries is kind of awesome out there. And no James Conner, no D-Hop, who we already mentioned uh, as well. And those things certainly play a factor. But this is a game that I think Arizona definitely still should have won against the Colts. Uh, Both teams were shorthanded. It's a home game. But it kind of just ties back to the theme. I don't know if you saw the stat, but Cliff Kingsbury is notorious for starting the season hot and being really bad towards the end. Arizona started 7-0, 3-5 since, and the team typically struggles down the closing stretch here in the season. Uh, they're kind of just coasting, and they got to figure it out because they have so many things on the table they could still achieve, but they right. won't if they continue to play like this. And we saw something similar last year, I think. They started out hot, and then they fell down the stretch. I didn't follow Cliff Kingsbury religiously while he was at Texas Tech, so I couldn't pull you know, his coll- collegiate stats out of my back pocket, but... It is an interesting trend to look at and a disconcerting one at that too. I mean, when you've got Kyler Murray and number one pick who can who might even be a better rushing quarterback than Lamar Jackson, I know that's a bit of a hot take, but at at his peak I think he's better. Yeah. And 
you know, Arizona would fall into a wild card spot and would play. Who would they play? They'd most likely play division rival, the Rams, if every team wins out, which probably isn't going to happen. But, you know, but can they beat the Rams? No. Can they beat Brady in the Bucks, Rodgers in the Pack, even Dak in the Cowboys? I don't think so. Unless no. they go out and beat them this weekend, then I don't have much faith in them right now. Yeah, I'm with you. And not having D-Hop certainly plays a role in that because that's one massive less target that Kyler's been able to take advantage of. Uh, the big thing for them, though, is the miscues. And it's so late in the season, these things can't be happening. Arizona had seven penalties in the first half. And then, of course, Matt Prater, former Lion, absolutely struggled. He missed two field goals and a PAT. If he makes all of those kicks, the Cardinals win by one. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, in Syracuse, we have a saying, free throws matter. I'd, I'd like to paraphrase that. Kicks matter. Extra yep. points, field goals, even punts. Yep. Kicks really matter. So let's move on to talking about some of the big games of Week 17 because we've got – college football playoff who you got at the tail end of the show but we do want to talk about it because it's really important so we start with Miami at Tennessee a game we oh, a game we hypothetically imagined in the playoffs earlier is happening this week Miami eight and seven seven seed in the AFC Tennessee ten and five sitting at number two big game who you got it's a fun one um a couple things around state Titans team uh, he's kind of taken over coming back from that injury of course but taken over as the lead wide receiver and he's been Tannehill's go-to guy in the passing game and he's needed to be because the Titans have really struggled to run the football they had just 90 yards last week against the 49ers and allowed four sacks and this is a Miami team that just had eight which I think tied a team record franchise record against the Saints so can you protect Ryan Tannehill can you establish the run game and can AJ Brown continue to be a playmaker those are the questions I think they're answered the Titans win Close one, 24-20, and just cover the three-and-a-half-point spread. I got to be honest with you, man. I disagree. I don't see any team stopping Miami right now, except if it's Kansas City, Green Bay, or Tampa. And like you said, Tennessee's been playing inconsistent. They were lucky to get away with the win against the Niners the other night, but somehow they did. Three-point win. I just don't think Tennessee is a better football team than Miami right now. I know they struggled against the Jets two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago. But at the same time, they came away with the W, and that's what ultimately matters. And with Tennessee still being without Derrick Henry, I don't see them being able to be the top of the top right now. So give me Miami. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Another thing to look at, though, is the Titans would have beat the 49ers, right? If Jimmy Garoppolo – or no, the 49ers would have beaten the Titans, rather, if Jimmy Garoppolo didn't throw, what, two, three interceptions there – uh, in, in the second half. So if Tua can play clean, if Miami can play clean, they can win this game. I'm tired of this Jimmy G slander. Do people forget he led the Niners to a Super Bowl two years ago? I'm just spitting facts. I don't hate the guy. I mean, he didn't have a great game, but come on. He deserve, he has so much unwarranted hate. All right. Kansas City at Cincinnati. Two teams top their division. Kansas City has already wrapped theirs up. They're fighting for home field advantage right now. Since he's fighting just to get in. So, two teams trying to jockey themselves to not only get into the postseason, but get a better spot in it. Who wins? Well, Cincinnati is hot. And I think Joe Burrow's finally hitting his stride here, especially with a game like last week. And I think he's fully prepared to come back and try to do the same thing against Kansas City. I don't think it's going to happen, though. Uh, I think Kansas City wins this game by two touchdowns, 34-20. Two touchdowns. Two touchdowns, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the two things to keep in mind are what do the Chiefs get with Kelsey back and Tyreek Hill and the other guys coming back from COVID and even Clyde Edwards-Hilaire with his injury last week. And then the key for the Bengals, can you get Joe Mixon going? He just had 65 yards last week on 18 carries and a touchdown uh, against the Ravens, so he wasn't much of a factor. Can he be a factor against the Chiefs? I don't think so. That's why they win by two scores. My only thing with the Bengals is that they don't have this – season-defining win that a lot of teams have. I mean, when you look at the teams they've beaten, none of them really pop or make your eyes burst open. I mean, yeah, they took Green Bay down to the wire in OT. They probably should have won that game. They didn't. That That's an opportunity for one, and they blew it. And they've got another opportunity this week, and I think it's going to be a closer game than you think. I think it's one score, but I think Kansas City wins. Let's go 35-31. Yeah, it's going to be tight. It's going to be high-scoring, but... 
at the end of the day, when Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback, you've always got the best chance. Unless your name yeah. is Tom Brady. <laughs> All right, well, Rams at Ravens. Rams trying to seal up the NFC West. Baltimore trying to get back into the playoffs with a four-game losing streak. And and the status for Lamar Jackson, John, still, we don't, we just don't know. We just don't know. Right, yeah. So I think that's why the spread right now is still three and a half. Ravens the underdog. Um, so will Lamar play? That's obviously a big question. Can Huntley play? Because he was out with the COVID thing. So can he test out of all that stuff and play next week? Because obviously the Ravens are a much better team than anybody not named uh, Josh Johnson is the signal caller and under center for them, right? So I think those are the biggest things to look out for. Uh, a couple things on the Rams, though. Stafford really has kind of struggled on the road this season, especially last week against the Vikings, just 21 for 37, 197 yards. Did have a late touchdown, but three interceptions against a Minnesota team. I can't play like that and expect to win against the Ravens. I think he'll have a much easier time because we've already talked about how injury ravaged this whole Ravens team is, but especially that secondary and Sony Michelle sliding into the RB1 spot. I love it. Uh, I think the Rams win 31 17, uh, even with Lamar Huntley playing. Yeah, and I want to bring up something that I didn't bring up earlier while talking about the Baltimore. With the exception of the loss to Cincinnati this past weekend, it's not like they've been getting blown out. You know, they lost to the Steelers by one point when they went for two at the end and didn't get it to, to win the game. They lost to Cleveland by two points in Cleveland. They lost to Green Bay with Tyler Huntley at quarterback by one point. For mm-hmm. the same reason they lost the Pittsburgh game. So they lost three straight weeks by a combined four points. Then with Josh Johnson at quarterback, they get annihilated by Cincinnati. Okay, yep. that's that. I have a little bit more sympathy for that. But if even if Tyler Huntley is the quarterback, I mean, when they're playing at their peak, the Rams are the most well-rounded team in the NFC. I'm not going to go ahead and say they're the best because they don't have Brady or Rodgers at quarterback. But, I mean, I don't see Baltimore winning this weekend, even if Lamar or Tyler Huntley is back in at the quarterback slot. By the way, I'd love to see Tyler Huntley get a shot starting next year somewhere else. Maybe. Yeah, I was gonna say that earlier. Yeah, I I think Pittsburgh could use a starting quarterback right now. Sorry, Big Ben, but I think Rams win. Let's go thirty to twenty. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of in the same realm with you. Two scores. All right, we end with the ice cold Cardinals, the red hot Cowboys, Arizona trying to jockey for playoff positioning. As is Dallas, they've locked up their division. Arizona trying to get back into their NFC West race. Will they? Arizona's cold. Dallas is hot. We've already talked about it. That amazing performance they had last week against the football team. Uh, Carson Wentz, of all people, tore up this Arizona defense. So just just imagine what Dak could do if he's playing like he did last week in that first half when they got out to a 42-7 lead. Dallas is 12-3 against the spread. They're favored by 5.5, and, and they'll go to 13-3 against the spread. 38-27, Dallas over Arizona. Yeah, I'm in a similar boat. I mean, I think Arizona is going to play better than they did against Indianapolis over the weekend. I mean, I can't imagine Kyler Murray is sleeping well after his performance on Saturday, even after his performance over the last three weeks. So I think they'll play better, but I don't think they're going to win. I mean, this Dallas team is surprisingly well-rounded. We thought their defense was going to be horrific coming into the season. They're actually pretty, excuse me, they're actually pretty good. And yeah. might have the best defensive player in football this season with Micah Parsons, the linebacker out of Penn State. Rookie, by the way. But, I mean, the question is, can they do it in the playoffs? Dak doesn't have the greatest playoff history, but this isn't the playoffs yet. This is a regular season game, and they're going to take care of their business. Yep, I'm with you. It turns into a shootout. Dallas is better geared to win a game like that, and that's why they'll beat the Cardinals. All right, well, before we get into college football, I want to briefly touch on the NBA on Christmas Day, which was very action-packed and very memorable for a lot of the wrong reasons, at least from my perspective. So, the first game, it was Hawks-Knicks. New York took care of business, 101-87. to Kemba Walker, of all people, came away with a triple-double, but the elephant in the room, Atlanta played without Trey Young, and he still lives rent-free in Knicks fans' heads. I'm just going to throw that out there. The next <laughs> game, Celtics-Bucks. Uh, I don't want to talk about it, but... Milwaukee outscored Boston 21-4 to over the final five minutes of the game to win by four. Same old Celtics. 
But yeah. the, 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 I think the best game of the day, Golden State, Phoenix, statement win for the Warriors, snapping a 15-game win streak at home for the Suns, 116-107. to 107. Then the most hyped-up matchup in the preseason for Christmas was Nets-Lakers, but Anthony Davis didn't play, Kevin Durant didn't play, Kyrie didn't play. Brooklyn took care of business, 122-115. to 115, And criticism about Russell Westbrook is even bigger now. Then the, the nightcap... Utah taking down Dallas, 120-116. to 116. Two good teams really duking it out. But do you have any big takeaways? Not really. Uh, Kendall Walker plays his best basketball in MSG. I mean, that was proven correct again. Uh, first thing I thought of was that step-back jumper he hit in the Big East tournament a couple of years ago. So he just plays well in MSG. And uh, congrats to him, 10-12-10 for a triple-double. Um, and he's been a guy that's been on the bench and finally got back in the starting lineup, and he's taking advantage uh, of those opportunities. And yeah, no Trey Young, so you can't put a ton of stock into that one for the Hawks, I don't think. Uh, the Celtics game, I won't touch on too much. I know you're upset about it. Uh, Boston was up, and Boston is having issues with COVID and stuff like that, which is more impressive that they were beating this team by so much at halftime, but then kind of fell apart in the second half. Giannis came back from his COVID uh, issues, first game in two weeks, and he went off for 36, 12, and five. So a big performance by him. Um, and then one, one other thing I wanted to say. Uh, that Nets-Lakers game was funny because each team outscored each other by 10-plus in each quarter. So for one quarter, it was the Nets outscoring the Lakers by 10. For the next one, it was the Lakers outscoring the Nets by 10. Just pretty weird. Not a trend that, that, that I often that's, see. That's funky. That's something you yeah. don't really see very often. But, I mean, my the thing I took away from this is, is that the two best franchises historically in the NBA, the Celtics and Lakers, have a problem. We just – I mean – for the Celtics, it's closing out games and dealing with the injury bug. I mean, I mean, even when they have a fully healthy roster, they let games slip away. And then for the Lakers, I mean, I mean, I'm trying to put this nicely, but what is Russell Westbrook doing there? I mean, yeah, I it was a questionable move coming into the season, and he has looked absolutely awful. I know Kendrick Perkins was calling for him to be traded, and to be honest, I mean. Would it make the Lakers better? It's very possible. But will the Lakers make the trade? I mean, are they going to go behind LeBron James' back and trade a player that he wanted to come to Los Angeles? No chance. Right. I don't think so either. Yeah. Like, uh, obviously, you want to accumulate talent. But if it's going to be a detriment, you shouldn't be doing it. And, you know, this Lakers team has the oldest roster in NBA history. And as I was watching NBA Countdown Christmas morning as we were getting ready to head to my grandmother's house, one thing really stuck with me is that all the young pieces the Lakers have traded away or gotten rid of, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, Alex Caruso, Josh Hart, the list goes on and on. Arguably the most win-now mode we have ever seen in any pro sport. Granted, it worked for them. They won their title two years ago. But at the same time, the future looks to be in serious jeopardy Especially when LeBron James, I mean, I know, I believe he's about to turn 37. I mean, and he still looks really, really good. But father time starts to creep up on you, unless your name is Tom Brady. Yeah, I think the best teams, no matter what sport it is, have a mix of that old veteran talent that can lead the bunch, but also the young guys that can get the job done with athleticism and uh, that um, perseverance. That's not the word I'm looking for. Endurance, endurance over a game. That definitely uh, plays a factor as you get older. So we'll see. I think what they're really lacking right now, William, is a second score. LeBron at 39, but then the next best guy was Malik Monk off the bench with 20. So they need to find that next guy. Yeah, especially with AD out for the kind of foreseeable future. All right, let's move on to the thing we're all looking forward to coming up New Year's Eve, the college football playoff. We'll go one through four, strengths, weaknesses, key players, we begin with the number one team in the country, the Alabama Crimson Tide, who took down Georgia in the SEC Championship to secure that one seed by a score of 41-24. to They'll take on the fourth seed Cincinnati Bearcats. So, geez, when you look at this Alabama team, what stands out to you? Strength-wise, offense really good, obviously. When you have the Heisman winner at quarterback, your offense is probably going to be pretty good, right, Liam? So Bryce Young, uh, 421 passing yards, three touchdowns in the championship game against Georgia. That was very impressive because we hadn't seen 
and offense do that to Georgia's defense. And we'll talk a little bit more about them in just a few minutes. The entire season, I think that was his Heisman moment, his Heisman game, and it was very impressive. So we've seen that. We've seen Bama do that, but we've also seen Bama only put up 20 and struggle to put up 20 against LSU, a team that was bad this year, and then an Auburn team that just got done losing to Houston in a bowl game that no one really cares about. So you don't really know what you're going to get. Cincinnati's got a really good defense. We'll touch on that. Uh, one thing to keep in mind with that strength, which I think is the Bama offense, two things actually. The run game's a little inconsistent. They don't really have that guy at the running back position this year. Uh, it, it's Brian Williams, I think his name is. Uh, something along the lines of that. Not a game changer. Solid running back, but not a game changer. I think Cincinnati could turn this offense one-dimensional. And no James, uh, not James Williams, he's playing. No John Mechie. He uh, got injured in the championship game, so he won't play one of Bama's best receivers. So... I'm going to break a rule here. Or am I breaking a rule? Because I think Alabama's strength, biggest strength, excuse me, and biggest weakness are the exact same thing. And it's the number of close games they've played in. And you learn from them. You learn from eking out wins against Florida, Florida, LSU, Arkansas, and Auburn. You learn from getting humiliated by Texas A&M. You learn from games like that. At the same time, you have to wonder, what are they doing barely squeaking by Florida? What are they doing losing to unranked Texas A&M? What are they doing only winning by six against unranked LSU in Tuscaloosa, mind that? What are they doing needing four overtimes to beat Auburn without Bo Nix? Yeah. That's the, it, that's, the more, that's the balancing issue here is that, yes, they played in all these close games. Yes, they have experience, and I think that's going to come in handy for them. But what, I mean, why is this happening is my thing. Yeah. Well, it's history, Liam. It happened months ago. All these close games, maybe not the Auburn game. But what Bama does every year when push comes to shove, when they need to step up and make plays and win games, they get the job done. We saw them do it against Georgia, and we see them do it every single year when when they're in this playoff scenario. A couple years ago, they weren't even supposed to be in the playoff, right? I think it was 2018 because they lost to Georgia that year. They get in as the four seed, and then they win the whole thing. They just turn it on at the end of the season, especially with the month they get off and the time to practice and really hone in and get the stuff, uh, get the stuff done and get the practices in and everything like that, scouting the opponent. They just always seem ready to play, and they always bring their A game in these situations. And unfortunately, I think Cincinnati is going to be the victim of that. Again. Yeah, you talked about that Heisman moment for Bryce Young. I think the Georgia game was very evident to that. I mean, they made a historically good defense look historically bad. But, I mean, yeah, like you said, this team turns it on year in and year out. And who knows what who knows what magical acts they're going to pull off this time around. Sorry, so let's move on to your boys, the Michigan Wolverines. Coming in to the number two seed in the playoffs, who, I'm going to be totally honest, I wrote off after losing to Michigan State, but they have responded well. I mean, I thought they were going to get massacred by Ohio State. They were the massacrees, ones massacring. So, I mean, I don't want you to be too biased here, because I know you've got heavy rooting interest, but what do you have to say about your team? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I wrote them off as well. I had them going like 7-5 and this year at the beginning of the season. And once they lost that game to Michigan State, which they should have won, by the way, but that's neither here nor there, uh, I didn't think they would do much of anything down the stretch against Penn State, Ohio State, or anybody meaningful. I thought they'd finish up the year with three losses and go to uh, maybe a New Year's Six Bowl and and lose that like they do every year. But no, something changed, something clicked. Uh, This team is playing its best ball right now, and it's a Jim Harbaugh team that we haven't seen at Michigan. There are no number one guys really anywhere, except for Aiden Hutchinson, David Ojabo on the D-line. But on the offense... There's just playmakers all over the place, and it's several different guys. Michigan doesn't rely on one simple player. So I think they might be the best collective team in the entire field. Now, they may not win the whole thing, but I think they are the best collective team as it is right now. A couple weaknesses they have. Defensively, they can have their moments where they just get shredded in the passing game and they get blown off the ball. Uh, on the ground, and obviously Georgia has a very physical front on both sides of the ball, so that's really the matchup that I'm looking out for, and on top of that, 
There's no number one wide receiver for Michigan. It was supposed to be Ronnie Bell. He went down with an ACL injury in the first game of the season. So there's pieces, but there's not a guy that every single game comes in and produces and carries the load on the offensive side. Yeah, that's my concern for this Michigan team too. So my thing is, is that there's no doubt in my mind that Georgia's number one priority defensively will be to contain Hassan Haskins, right? I mean, the kid rushed for almost 1,300 yards and 20 touchdowns on the season. And, you know, Cade McNamara, I'm sorry. I mean, I like the kid, but one wor- there's a word that comes to mind when I hear his name. That word is inconsistent. I mean, yep. And like you said, without a true number one wide receiver, I mean, Michigan had only one receiver, barely eclipsed 600. No other receiver eclipsed 400 yards on the season for the Wolverines. So I can't help but look at that and think, I mean, I think Georgia's path to victory is pretty, pretty simple. Contain us on Haskins, then I think they can do it. But, I mean, it's not it's not so simple. Jim Harbaugh's a good coach. He's going to go toe-to-toe with Kirby Smart. And it is, I will say this, though. The NCAA did a fantastic job with their scheduling, scheduling that Georgia-Michigan game for the more prime time. Yeah, I'm with you because I think the Bama since one might get perhaps a little out of hand. Yeah. I – the thing with Michigan is Josh Gaddis won the Broyles Award, right, for the nation's top assistant. They just have some kind of an it factor. The trick plays, the misdirection, all the all the pieces, not having that guy that's expected to be that guy every single game. There's just something about this team that is, one, fun to watch, and, two, just mysterious, yeah. which makes it very difficult to predict this game and really predict the entire field. Because if Michigan's playing like they did in the second half against Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game or even in the the entirety of the Michigan-Ohio State game, they could beat anybody they play with, 11-on-11. 11 11. The question is, what team is which Michigan team is going to show out for this game? Again, I'll, and I, I said it earlier, six, it'll be 7.30 Eastern kickoff on ESPN. We're in for a treat with that game Friday night, New Year's Eve. It's going to be... It's going to be a heck of a it's going to be a heck of a time. It's going to be a heck of a game. We got to break down Michigan's enemy, the Georgia Bulldogs who slid from 1 to 3 after dropping the SEC Championship game to Alabama and this really came out of nowhere. The Bulldogs had not given up more than 13, excuse me, 17 points in a single game this season. Yep. And then they get torched for 41. 41. How does that happen? By Alabama. Alabama put up 24 in one quarter. Yep. And they did some of that without John Mechie, too. Yeah. Um, Alabama had to pass the ball to win the game. You're not going to run the ball against this Georgia team. And they did that successfully. So that's the recipe for beating the squad. Here's a a statistic that absolutely blows my mind. Georgia's allowed three rushing touchdowns the whole year and 81 total yards. Obviously, that has the sacks adjusted into it because there's no possible way they've only given up 81 true rushing yards the whole season. That's, what, 13 games? That's just insane, though. Uh, their, their front seven is absolutely unbelievable. It's led by Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt, two guys on the defensive line. Davis is 6'6", 340. Okay, so he doesn't put up a ton of stats, 28 tackles, three and a half tackles for loss. But this dude is an absolute cinder block in the middle of this defense, and he's going to wreak havoc on this Michigan run game along with Devontae Wyatt. So, I mean, yeah, this defense is historically good. Like you said, that's a jaw-dropping stat, even when you take into account it doesn't account for stat sacks, excuse me. But, yeah, so that's obviously their strength. My concern for this team is, similar to Michigan, the quarterback situation. I mean, yep. JT Daniels has played a little bit since he came back, and I'm going to be honest with you, I don't even know who's starting for Georgia Friday. I I mean, I don't think, I think, there's, be I don't think there's a good answer because – JT Daniels hasn't looked like JT Daniels, and this season, Stetson Bennett has been, you know, it almost feels like, I don't want to use the words, but I'm going to use the words, system quarterback. I think that if you threw a guy like Bo Nix into Georgia's offense, they would be a heck of a lot better. Obviously, Bryce Young, maybe even Cade McNamara, maybe maybe even the kid from Liberty, Malik Willis, I mean... If Malik Willis was the quarterback of this Georgia team, I mean, I think they win that game against Alabama. Yeah. So Maybe Jamie Newman. Who's he playing? 2019 version of him, you know? So, when you 
factor in all that, that's the dark cloud for this Georgia team. Yeah. Can they get it done offensively with either Stetson Bennett or not 100% JT Daniels leading the offense? And against a tough, tough Michigan D, that's the oxymoron. Yeah, it's Liam, it's like the Spider-Man meme because Georgia and Michigan are so similar. Their defenses are both very talented. I would say Georgia has a better defense than Michigan, slightly. Um, but on the offensive side, it's just about doing enough to win the game, right? So can Stetson Bennett make some throws? Can Cade McNamara make some throws? Michigan's shown they can win games by running the ball. They did that against Ohio State. They've also shown that they can win games passing the ball. They did that against Penn State. So that's really the big thing. Whose offense is going to produce more? Obviously, score more, score one more point than the other team to win the game, right? But uh, it's going to be low scoring. The defenses are both going to have their opportunities. It's going to be about who can pick their spots on the offensive side. I already talked about Michigan with the trick plays and things like that. They actually lead the nation in explosive plays, 50-plus yards. They have 17 of those. And it's interesting. I don't know if you're familiar with what they've done this year at the quarterback spot. Yes, they have Cade McNamara. They also have this kid, J.J. McCarthy, five-star true freshman, who they bring into the game for some packages. Um, and he brings a running dimension to the game, as well as a, a very explosive and live arm as well. So there's intricacies to this Michigan offense that make them tough to match up with, and I think that could play a factor. By the way, you mentioned the Spider-Man meme. Have you seen the new movie yet? I have not. I was uh, invited, but I didn't go. I, I, I mean, it was, it, wasn't, it was good, but there were a ton of aspects that I just wasn't exactly fond of, if I'm being brutally honest. But, I mean, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with McCarthy, I mean, I understand why he's not starting this year, but the kid's got a bright future ahead of him, probably even an NFL future. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, we've been hyping this game up the whole episode, so it's going to be down to the wire as good as it gets. Perhaps even a college football playoff semifinal classic right up there with Ohio State-Clemson from two years ago. All right, mm -hmm. the last team, the Cincinnati Bearcats. I mean, the first group of five school to ever make the playoff, 13-0. and they have two ranked wins on the season, one of which was in South Bend against Notre Dame. Then they take down Houston in the conference championship game. But the words group of five linger overheads because they're going up against the undisputed cream of the crop of college football. Yeah, it's Alabama. And to most people, Cincinnati's a 13.5-point underdog. People would bet Alabama just because it's Alabama. And I don't buy into that narrative because I did the same thing last year when Georgia played Cincinnati in, I think it was the Peach Bowl. And Cincinnati went toe-to-toe -to -toe with that team, albeit with a couple of opt-outs on the Bulldogs team. But still, they went toe-to-toe -to -toe with that team. Marcus Freeman with, uh, as the defensive coordinator as well. He's no longer there. Um, but they proved something to me in that game. And I'll be damned if I'm going to let that fool me for the second year in a row. So I think Cincinnati can definitely compete with Alabama. Their strength is absolutely their defense. Their offense is pretty good, but it's not the strength, in my opinion. Uh, Cincinnati is tied for fourth in the nation with Michigan, actually, in scoring defense, allowing just under 16 per game. And it's led by the secondary. They have three different guys that have three interceptions this year. It's led by Ahmad Sauce Gardner, Detroit native. Love that. That's where I'm from, uh, if you didn't know. Um, and the matchup to watch in this game is what can he do against Jameson Williams, Alabama's wide receiver one. If, if he can win that matchup, he's got some insane pro football focus stats where he hasn't allowed X catches or anything like that uh, in his entire collegiate career. So if he can perform up to those billings against this wide receiver, that might be the X factor in this, in this game. There's something about this game that is just not in any way, shape, or form being hyped out about enough. It's a little yep. thing called a revenge game. And that is where Cincinnati's strength lies in. It's who their offense runs through. The running back, Jerome Ford, who compiled over, over 1,200 yards and 19 tutties on the season, played his first two years at Alabama before transferring to Cincinnati. And he has made himself into one of the best running backs in college fall, right up there with the Kenneth Walkers, Sean Tuckers, B. John Robinsons of the land. And, and if Jerome Ford can get cooking, then yeah, Cincinnati can absolutely compete with this Bama team. I mean, you talked about last season, how they went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Georgia and the Peach Bowl, who, by the way, is also one of the four college football playoff teams. I mean, yeah, the the voice inside my head is saying, oh, it's Alabama, it's a group of five schools, they should have no problem. But if Jerome Ford can get going, do not write the Bearcats off. I mean, unless I'm mistaken, they're the last undefeated FBS team left, not since Georgia went down. 
Yep. Anything can happen. It's why you play the game. I mean, I mean, people weren't counting on the U.S. to defeat the Soviets in the Miracle on Ice, were they? Right. Yeah, I think it's right up there with that one. Uh, this Cincinnati team is going to come out. They're going to be ready to play. Last season, they were flying all over the place, quarter one to quarter four against Georgia, and they darn near pulled that upset off. They're going to be ready to go. A lot of people think that Bama's just going to come in and walk all over them because it's Alabama and it's Cincinnati, it's SEC, and it's American Athletic Conference, but they'll be ready to play. Luke Ficker will have his guys ready, and they're going to give it their all the entire contest, and I think they're going to keep it competitive. You want my score prediction now? Go for it. All right, I think Bama wins 31-20. So Cincinnati covers. I think a late touchdown propels the Crimson Tide of the win. All right, and before I give mine, I just want to say Cincinnati was in a position to beat Georgia in last year's bowl game. They were up 21 to 10 after three quarters, but, yeah. you know, Georgia's offense really opened the floodgates, winning the game 24 to 21. No with shame JT in that. Daniels. No shame in that. Yeah, and again, it was with JT Daniels, not Stetson Bennett. So, yeah, I, I'm i going to go Bama 35 to 28. It's going to be a very close, close game, I think. People are writing off this Cincinnati team just because they're a group of five school, but they 100% deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. They do. Winning in South Bend is no small feat and something very few schools have been able to do in our lifetimes. Yeah, and they also beat Indiana on the road as well. And I know Indiana was bad this year, but still, going on the road and beating quality Power 5 teams is something not to sneeze at. And they'll probably continue to schedule those tough opponents so they can have more of these opportunities in the future. Obviously, in a couple of years, that's just going to happen by itself when they join the Big 12. I'm really excited to see what Cincinnati can do and what they can do in the future as well. Yeah, I'm very excited for when they join the Big 12 because this is good for college football. Seeing variety is good for college yep. football. Not having it be Clemson, Bama, every single year, it's good for college football. That's that's why that's why last year's NBA playoffs were among the best in recent memory because of the mm-hmm. parity. People weren't it wasn't LeBron and the Warriors. It was Milwaukee and Phoenix. So yeah. the parody is good, and Cincinnati is bringing that, and I cannot wait to watch the game Friday afternoon. But yeah. the other this game... This is why we don't need to expand the playoffs. Sorry? This is why we don't need to expand the playoffs. Exactly. All right, the other game, Michigan versus Georgia. Uh, don't be too biased here, Jeeds. I know. Yeah. I know. I think I know who you're going to go with, though. No, I, I, try to stay, I, I try to stay as unbiased as possible um, because... I am a college, big college football fan, and I feel like I'm doing it a disservice if I just pick a team for the sake of picking it. But I do think Michigan pulls this one out. 27-24, the late field goal gets the Wolverines over the top. I know this Georgia defense is daunting, but Michigan has two backs who I think could do different things to wear this team down and beat them. We already know about Hassan Haskins, but the, he's defender. They also got Lightning, Blake Corum. This guy is an absolute home run hitter. I think he's going to have a big run in this game. And I think Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy are going to flip-flop a lot. And Josh Gaddis is going to call his best game ever as an offensive coordinator with a bunch of trickery, misdirection, and explosive plays. Um, On the other side, I just don't think Georgia has enough on the offensive end to get the job done against a very tough Michigan defense. I will say, though, this came out today, just like the Carson Wentz news. Daxton Hill, starting nickelback, key piece to this Michigan defense. He did not travel with the team. The plan is that he will get there the day before the game. So we'll see what kind of an impact that has. It's a key loss if he doesn't play, like Jabril Pepper's not playing in the Orange Bowl five years ago against Florida State. I digress. I think Michigan wins 27-24. What do you got? All right. I like it. I like it a lot, but I think you're too high scoring. I mean, if you think that Georgia's going to let – a team score 20 plus on them two straight games I think you're delusional that being said I don't have much faith in Stetson Bennett so I but I hate to disagree with you but Georgia just has the better overall defense and it's going to be a low scoring game 17 to 13 it's going to be a real defensive slugfest but basing it on the fact that Georgia has the better defense that's who I'm taking to win okay and again 17 to 13 you know it wouldn't surprise me if Michigan pulls out a late touchdown drive and wins 20-17. to 17. Yeah. And that's one of the things. I haven't anticipated a college football playoff game this much in quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, me, me too, obviously. Uh, Michigan never being in the playoff and all. Um, I, I think it'll be high scoring because I think we're going to get that trickeration from the Michigan side. 
But then we might also get a couple of turnovers and favorable field position for Georgia. Michigan gets into a tendency of being really hot, scoring two straight touchdowns, but then struggling to move the football and backing themselves up towards their own end zone and allowing other teams to start the drives at the 45, the 50, or plus territory in 45. And I think Georgia can capitalize off of that. That's why I have it being so high scoring. But it's, it's going to be a slugfest other than that. Yeah, all right. And we close with looking ahead to the championship game. So... If in my scenario, it would be Georgia versus Bama. In yours, it would be Michigan versus Bama. I'm going to throw it all out on the line right now. Georgia's winning that game. It's hard to beat a team twice in a year, even if your name is Nick Saban. I mean, just ask Bill Belichick. The Patriots couldn't beat the Bills for the second time this year. And I feel like that is going to be an underlying factor if and when the Tide and Bulldogs meet in the championship. So Georgia will get its second championship within a – two-and-a-half-month span after the Braves won the World Series? How about that? If Georgia were to beat Michigan, I agree with you because I feel like the Bulldogs would figure out how to shut down that Bama passing attack from what happened last time, on top of the fact that John Mechie wouldn't play because of the injury, right? So he wouldn't even be there. But I do have Michigan beating Georgia. And it's funny, I was actually at the bowl game in 2019 when Michigan and Bama played in the Verbo Citrus Bowl. Great game. Uh, Bama took over in the fourth quarter and ended up winning by 19, but it was a one-score contest for the entirety of the game. And the Michigan team that that is now is four times as good as that Michigan team from two seasons ago. And I think they it's a lot of the same coordinators from that Bama squad too, minus Steve Sarkeesian, but same defensive coordinator is there. I think Michigan also beats Georgia. Close game. Do you think Michigan would beat Bama? Uh, what did I just say? I said Georgia. Yes, I think they would beat Alabama. Uh, because I've seen them play and, tough against Baylor before. The team they have now is way better than that team. Is the Alabama team exactly. right now better than the Bama team from a few years ago with Tua playing on a broken ankle? Yeah. It was Mac Jones that played that game, actually. Believe it or not. And they had Jerry Judy and I'm not, uh, you know, oh, Jalen Water and the whole nine yards. I'm not gonna tell I'm team. not gonna tolerate Mac Jones slander, but let me just let me just there's no homerism in that take, right? Right. Uh that one a little bit. But I seriously think that this Michigan team could beat Alabama. They absolutely could. They absolutely could. I just don't I just don't think they will. I just Fair don't enough. think they will. Fair enough. All right, well, we are really looking forward to the college football playoff. Jeeds, you are a fantastic man to break it all down. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. A lot, right. of, a lot of fun, and I'm really excited to see what happens in this playoff, and hopefully some of my takes were proven correct. That so. makes two of us. For John Eads, I'm Liam Griffin. Follow us on Instagram at Full Court Press Podcast and on Twitter at Full CP Podcast. That's F U L L C P Podcast. And if you want to be sitting in Jesus' seat, you know what to do. Get in contact with me and we'll make it happen. We will be off this weekend because of the new year. But a week and a half from now, January 8th is the exact date, we'll be back and ready to roll in 2022. Have a safe and happy new year. We'll see you guys soon.